There are uh, fresh new, if, if you're that anal person that needs to have everything correct, they're in the back, just so we're clear, okay? <clears throat> so, but you know, a few weeks ago, uh, Eric and I were out of town, we're at, in Atlanta for her father's funeral, and just for, first off, just thanks to everyone, just for your prayer, support, and uh, just um, the realization of what amazing community we have here it was kind of an awesome reminder, and just uh, also the reminder of, I don't like to sweat, oh my God. It was so hot there, and just coming back here and just the realization that this is such a unique place to be, isn't it? It's a unique town, and that was kind of highlighted. Um, it was like the Friday after we got back, uh, my son and Michael Wynn, we all went fishing, and then we came back and got some T.O.s, and we're sitting on elk eating our burritos and kind of chatting, and this elderly gentleman starts coming by. I mean, elderly. He's in a walker, and he's got, like, oxygen, and he walks by our bench and he looks at me, looks at me again, and then he starts turning his walker. He faces me and he goes, you know, they're coming up with a new cocktail with milk of magnesia and vodka. They're going to call it a Phillips screwdriver. (laughs) That is all he said. (laughs) Turned the walker, (laughs) kept on going down elk. And I'm pretty sure I saw his wife rolling her eyes because that's what my wife had done. So first off, it shows how unique a place we have. But secondly, I I think I got the opportunity to see what Tyler Hansen looked like at 90. Because you know, (laughs) he's still going to be walking this town telling people jokes. So I felt like there's some comfort in that. But I'm glad to have you here this morning. It's wonderful just to to be able to come together and worship God. And we're going back to our Pathway series uh, this Sunday. It's a, it's a series where we look at the disciplines, the practices, the teachings of Jesus and what he did in his own life and what we can take away from him in the, in the areas of prayer, fasting, meditation. And so you're fortunate today because we're going to talk about confession because I know you're all happy about that, right? You know, that whole thing where we're all going to stand up and just tell each other our darkest sin, okay? Is that all right? Yeah. I've, I've been there. It's not fun. But the weird thing about pastoring or, or preaching is you... You have to talk sometimes about things you don't want to talk about, and this would definitely be one of them. This confession is something I've struggled with. I've struggled with for a a while, but that's also why I wanted to preach on it, because it forces me to dig into it. It forces me to kind of take a different look at it and then practice it and see what it means in my own life. You know, and so when you look at confession, I think it's something that we all struggle with in one way or another. And I know when I look at my own life, I can look back at the fact that I have this, um, I can explain it, like unhealthy view of uh, authority. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. When I was a kid, I, that was, I was scared to death to get in trouble. And so I'd avoid it. And so I avoided by lying. Like, if as long as I didn't confess what I did, then I wouldn't get in trouble, then I wouldn't have to suffer the consequences. And, you know, even as an adult, I have this unhealthy fear of, like, I'm going to get pulled over. And the one time I get pulled over, there's some, like, a state convict in my back seat and he's got all this paraphernalia hanging out it's completely unrealistic these are things i think about so good luck with that that's what's in my head but when i add all that together in this kind of expectations experiences of confession there's probably a bias there and probably part of that bias happens when i'm dealing with god too is that well if i don't say anything if i don't confess then we don't have to deal with it even though he knows what's going on anyway um but i've also learned and pastoring for many years is that people want to get things off their chest. They want to tell you stuff that's going on in their lives. And 
when I tell people I'm a pastor, there's two things that usually happen immediately. One is they get really quiet when they find that out. And what I've learned is what they're doing is they're processing the conversation in their head that they just had to see if they implicated themselves in any way. Like, what did I say? Um, Don't talk to them again. But the other way is people will tell you anything. Like, I've worked in the business world, too. People don't confess stuff to me. (laughs) As a pastor, I've literally been in the grocery store, like, and this was a week before Thanksgiving, so I'm in the grocery store trying to get stuff. I turn a corner and I say, hey, how are you to this couple I know? Just, wow, they just told me. Like, they confessed. I'm, like, looking for pumpkin filling. And they're like, um, I need to change my thoughts here. Like, like they just needed to, to get that off their chest. They needed to tell someone. And so we have this kind of conundrum when it comes to confession. And so when you look at the reasons we don't confess, there, there's many. But one of the biggest reasons we don't confess is we're embarrassed of our sin. We don't either want to talk to other people about it, or we don't want to talk to God about it. And so because of that embarrassment, it causes other issues like we don't know what to do with that sin, we don't know how to confess it, or we just don't think it's a big deal, so we don't deal with it. And so our confession to each other and to God just keeps getting kind of less and less. But then you also look at confession in general, because there's been studies on confession. And this one study, um, they, what they did is they got people to... to watch a video of people flipping a coin. And what they had to do is they had to write down what they thought that coin was going to be when it landed, so it was going to be heads or tails. And so before they flipped it on the video, they had to write it down. What they didn't know was that they were being watched in this process. And about 35% of the people cheated. They over-exaggerated the number of flips they got right. And so the next phase of this was to let them (laughs) confess, let them come clean. Of the 35% that cheated, only 18% confessed. And the interesting part of this was, is that those who cheated less, so they only over-exaggerated by a little bit, actually gave full confessions. But the more you cheated, the more of a partial confession you gave. And so they took this idea and they took it a little further. And so another study, they did the same thing. They let people lie. Then they gave them a chance to confess. But they tracked their mood. What was their reaction after the end of the test. So, not surprisingly, people who didn't cheat had, no, had the least amount of negativity. They felt the best. But oddly enough, the people who partially cheated felt the worst. If they partly cheated or partly confessed, they had, a, they, they had more negativity than people who didn't confess at all. And so what we're learning is that partial confessions don't do much good. And we put that in biblical terms. We can look at it from the standpoint of just coming before God and saying, well, I just confess my sins. A partial confession. From a biblical and scientific standpoint, it's actually better if we talk about our specific sins than just the generalities of our sins. So when we kind of put that in context, when we look at what that means in our own lives, what do we do with this? What do we do with confession? What does it mean to confess to one another? Because it's not only important in our lives, it's important lives in Christ. And, and if you're here this morning and, you're, and you don't follow Christ, you're still trying to figure that out, there's stuff in here for you. Because you've probably heard the, the saying that confession is good for the soul. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that confession is good. So let's take a, a kind of new, different look at confession this morning to see what it means for us and some practical steps in order to get that accomplished. 
So there's about 20 different verses that talk about confession in the Bible. About half of those are specific like ways to do confession or reasons to do confession. And about the other half are uh, people confessing. So it's just people's action of confessing. So it's in there enough that we should do something about it. We should pay attention to it. So some of the highlighted verses I want to touch you real quickly is James 5.16 that Tyler just read. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that's going to kind of be our theme verse today. But we can look in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. So I want to start with the definition of confession this morning and then break that down to see what we can do to kind of get a little better at this. And, and remember, if, if this is something you struggle with, hey, join the club, okay? You're right there with me, and we'll figure it out together, and that's part of this process. So this definition of confession comes from Adele Calhoun, and it states that confession embraces Christ's gift of forgiveness and restoration while setting us up on the path to renewal and change. So we're going to kind of use that definition this morning of confession to see what it means in our own life. So first off, she states that confession is a gift. It's a gift that we should embrace. And that's important because I don't think we look at confession as a gift, like, oh, yay, I get to tell people my darkest secrets again. No one's ever said that. But it's a gift because it comes in the way of forgiveness and restoration, which is the gifts that Christ's given us. So first off, I want to look at forgiveness. This gift that comes through forgiveness, through confession. Because if we don't confess, then we're not opening up the pathway to forgiveness. If we don't confess, we're not accepting that gift that Christ gave us by his sacrifice on the cross. And we can read some passages like Psalms 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin does not count against them, whose spirit is no deceit. And Paul also highlights this need for forgiveness in Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, there's obviously a sermon series in forgiveness, so I could go on about that. But, but for our purposes, we cannot embrace that gift of forgiveness until we enter the path of confession. So we need to understand in order to embrace that gift, we need to start with confession. And the second is restoration. And uh, because there's something restorative about confessing to one another. It's one of those things that's like doing a hard workout. You don't want to do it, but at the end you feel good. That's what confession is like. What we see in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, Paul tells us that we're glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. When we are weak, you are strong. And that's truly a part of confession because I cannot have pride in my life and admit all my faults at the same time, can I? I can't be prideful about the fact when I'm looking at the things I'm failing at or the things I'm not doing well or where I'm not meeting Christ the way I should. Because when we're humble, we're made strong and restored. And this, this idea of entering in a place of restoration, it, it kind of came evident to me when I was at my father-in-law's funeral because we hold back so much, don't we? 
Now, when, when you're going to preach on a topic and you have a couple weeks to marinate on, you kind of see everything through that lens. And so when, you're, when I was in the funeral home and then people are coming by, they're shaking our hands, you know, they're telling, giving condolences. It's a salve, so a lot of bless your hearts. That happened a lot. But I heard a lot of, too, I wish I had. I wish I had. Well, why? What stops us from, from entering into that confession, from saying those necessary words? In some cases, it, it, it can't be done. But why don't we? Because when we're not doing that, we're losing out on that restorative process that Christ has given us, again, through his sacrifice, that comes through that act of confession. You know, he gives us this gifts of forgiveness and restoration, and we push them away because we want to hold tightly to something in our lives, to sin, to knowledge, to pride, whatever it may be, instead of getting what Christ has for us. And that's that verse in James 5, 16, confess to one another, pray that you may be healed, that you may be restored. Or as Irenaeus, the, the first century writer said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Not just alive, not just functioning, fully alive. We become fully alive by being restored through the light that is Christ in our lives. But we can't when we're holding that weight of sin and transgression so closely to us. And it weighs us down and weighs us down. None of us are guaranteed a tomorrow, so why not enter into these gifts of confession? So the second um, thing confession offers us is a pathway to renewal. Now, if we look at our James 5 verse, this renewal is coming about through prayer. It says, pray for one another. Um, and prayer is kind of the pathway to confession for us. And if you are here last week, you're, you heard a wonderful message by Bill Brewer about prayer. And I encourage you, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. It'll be well worth your time. But I thought one of the best things he said was that you can't pray and sin at the same time. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. <laughs> it's like, that's very true. Um, but one of his uh, points that he made is he said, prayer is designed to lead us to a place of surrender. And that's really important when it comes to confession. Because confession, at least for me, is a huge point of surrender. And when I'm confessing, I have to surrender my will, my wants, my desires to his desires. And more importantly, and this is what keeps us from confession, is I have to surrender what other people will think of me. Because that's what keeps me from confessing. We have to be humble enough to admit our brokenness, our faults, our pain, our suffering, and live the light through Christ's life. And then to Bill's point, if we can get to that point of prayer, if we're praying, we're not sinning. If we're not sinning, we don't have as much to confess. See? Works that easy. But we enter that point of prayer. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, Do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Anybody? You there? <laughs> like I, I have good friends. We're all in college. We played we played college athletics. And when we would get together, like we're like, oh, I think I threw my elbow out sleeping. Like I like it's it's bad. But there's a promise. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Renewal, restoration. We're being replenished, and renewal can happen when those things which are inhibiting one's life growth, like sin, are removed. Just think about trying to grow a rose or a plant in your yard. If it's surrounded by weeds, then it's going to be, its growth is going to be inhibited. All those nutrients which are supposed to go to the plant are being sucked by the very things 
keeping it from growth. And it's no different from us. Our growth, our renewal will never happen when we're holding tight to those, those thorns, those vines, those weeds, the sins that are keeping us from growth, which keeps us from being the man or woman that God has created us to be. So the third um, idea of confession is that confession is for the purpose of transformation. And the thing about the transformation is transformation does not happen in isolation. It takes us, and that's what he talks about here, is confessing to God, but also to each other. And if you know me, one of my favorite verses to speak up here is Romans 12, 2, because it says, do not conform to the world, but be transformed. And I've been doing this long enough that I know people want to be transformed. They want to grow. They want to go deeper with Christ. But we stop when it gets to the hard work. We don't want to get to the hard work. The confession, the self-examine, the forgiveness, the kindness, goodness, self-control, patience. I mean, who has time for that? I mean, come on. Because it takes no effort. And I tell, this, I tell the, like, kids this quite often. It takes no effort to be a jerk whatsoever. That is the lowest common denominator of living. It takes no effort on your part whatsoever, which is why most people do it. But it takes a lot of work to grow in Christ. It takes a lot of work to look inside to see where you are at fault and then turn that over for healing to Christ. And that is where transformation happens with the healing and renewal. This is why John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're cleansed, restored, transformed in him. Because part of that transformation is a healing in our soul. Because we look at that, that verse, that, that whole chapter of James 5, that, kind of the ending there, what James is talking about is not necessarily a confession, but kind of a communal aspect of existence. He said, you know, if, if, if you're um, suffering, pray. If you're happy, sing. If you're sick, find others around you to pray for you. Confess your sins to God and to others so that you will be healed. That's what James is talking about. That whole idea of cleansing, of community, of confession. Remember that Jesus tells us in John 10.10 10, that he didn't just come to give life, but to give what? An abundant, everlasting, full life. That's what he wants for us, which means he wants us healed. He wants us restored. He wants us transformed. The transformation doesn't happen in isolation, and it doesn't happen without the hard work. We have to be able to intentionally commit to the transformation by digging deep into confession. To understand this better, I want you to think about your sin like this weighted vest. And this is really heavy, so I'm not going to wear it. But we all walk around with some type of vest. Now, God looks at sin the same. We don't. So we put different weight of different sin on ourselves. And so for some of us, we're walking around with five pounds on. It's okay. We can deal with it. We've lived with it long enough. We don't want to set it down. We're comfortable in it. Some of us, we got like 20, 30 pounds. Man, it's, it's a slight burden, but we can deal with it. It you know, sidelines us every now and then, but it's okay. I would rather sit in the discomfort of this vest than enter into confession, than enter into the hard work of setting it down. But then there's some of you, man, you got 100 pounds on this vest. It is overwhelming to you, and you won't set it down. Why? Why won't we set this down? 
One of the reasons, one of the, and there's a lot of issues we don't set it down, but one of the biggest issues we struggle with in society and church is that our feelings matter more than facts. And let me explain this to you a little bit. So on a kind of shallow level, I can do a lot of research and go, what kind of car do I need in Crested Butte for the winter? I would find things like I need all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive or, or winter tires or traction control. Even heated seats would be nice. Those are the facts of living here. But then I go to the dealership and I see that sweet cherry red convertible sports car. I take that out for a spin and man, does that feel awesome. All the facts I had just went out the window, didn't they? On a more personal level, as individuals, we can hear good things about our lives. You are strong, you're smart, you're pretty, you're encouraging, you're, you're service oriented, you're generous. But if we don't feel that, we don't believe it. The facts don't matter because we're too involved with the feelings. So much of our society functions in this way. And follow me here for a moment. But because the problem with feelings, which our feelings are real, it's how we're interpreting them. If you're taking your feelings to the world, your feelings are probably going to betray you. But if you're taking them to Christ, they can be life-giving and change the way you live. But we haven't learned how to do that very well for a lot of us. And since we're not interpreting our feelings correctly, we do things because they feel right or they don't feel good. We want to avoid the feelings. This is why we don't enter into confession. Confession doesn't feel good, especially in the beginning. We'd rather hold on to our weight because we've gotten so used to it than seek renewal, than, than go to that person or go to God and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And lay this down because it doesn't feel good. You see, if I relied solely on feeling, feelings, I probably wouldn't forgive someone because I'd rather them suffer the consequences of what they did. I probably wouldn't confess because it doesn't feel good. Heck, I probably wouldn't work out in the morning because I don't like, I don't feel like I want to get up in the morning. And I certainly wouldn't confess because it doesn't feel good. I lived my entire life captive to my feelings, lived in this cocoon of life thinking I have control, and living in that constant loop of negativity. This is why we teach these uh, disciplines. This is why this pathway series, not just confession, but is important. Because if we're letting the world interpret our feelings, they will betray us. And Christ knew this. So he gives us these solid foundations of prayer, Bible study, meditation, fasting, confession, silence, and solitude to say, hear is how you get back to me, regardless of how you feel. This is why as a church, we're so adamant about sharing these with you, about, about showing you this pathway, because we are, I know my feelings can go all over the place, and I have to go to Christ to seek that foundation of truth and what that means. And that's where we find the abundant life in Christ. So real quickly as you wrap up, I want to give you four things that we can practically do in order to confess and enter into confession. And the first one is self-examine. And we find this in Psalms 139, 23, and 24, where the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Self-examination is a process whereby the Holy Spirit 
opens up your heart to the truth about you. And this isn't some shame-induced process. It is entering into it with the Holy Spirit to find out the truth of who you are, not what the world's telling, but who you are, and then grow, confess, and transform from there. But we have to look inside. We have to do self-examine first, which is why this sheet is important. Um, and I made Tyler pick it up, print it out too soon, but we'll get to that in a minute. And the next is prayer, like we've seen in James 5. And obviously prayer is self-evident, but it's twofold. We need to pray for our sins, and we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for those around us who are suffering. Then we need to confess to one another. Transformation does not happen in isolation. But let me tell you, when you got a brother or sister helping you with a load, it gets a lot easier, a lot lighter, a lot quicker. Until the point where you can lay it down at the cross. Confess to one another. Use one another. And then seek forgiveness and healing. That's the, that's the end. That's, that's the purpose. That's what we're going for. That's a tough one because too many times we seek comfort over healing. We seek the feeling instead of the transformation. We'll never be whole, healed, or transformed when we put our feelings first and seek the world instead of what God has for us. And to understand this better because it's not easy. It's not easy. And I've been in a physical therapy many times after like really intense surgeries. And there's times I wanted to punch my physical therapist. <laughs> like several of them because you know when they're working on you they do something that hurts so bad it's like a gut reaction like I haven't just so you know I've I've grabbed some arms pretty tightly (laughs) but I kept coming back because I know the process of healing was important I didn't give up because if I just laid on my couch I wouldn't have healed or I might have healed incorrectly man so it is with our soul is it going to be easy no is it going to be fun? Not at all. Is it worth it? Absolutely. We have to enter into the process and be willing to commit to the process of healing that, that, that Christ has for us in order to grow. And if you can start with those, sim- those simple steps, then you enter into that process of confession and change. And, and this is important because it's not safe and it's not um, going to be you know, something that doesn't scare you. Yeah, as, like at last Saturday, Eric and I, because we, were, we had a long week before that, and it was raining all day, we started binge-watching the Jurassic World series, you know, those three movies where we continue to build dinosaurs, and it doesn't work out. So if you're doing that, please stop. <laughs> but anyway, and I think it was the first one, Chris Pratt's character is in the raptor cage, and this, this kid comes up to him and goes, is it safe? And he goes, No. We live in a world where we want safe places, safe words, and safe lives. And let me tell you, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is life-giving. It is hope-filled. And, and it is full of promises. But let me be clear, it is not safe. And confession is not going to be safe either. But we enter into the process anyway. Because when Jesus came, he ruffled a lot of feathers. And sometimes we need our feathers ruffled. We need to get uncomfortable and do those things that we may not feel like doing, but Christ has called us to do. Those things that bring good life and that we'll never experience in a safe place. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to leave you with this. And this is why this is important. So on the back of here, you have some reflection questions and 
It's kind of an evening ritual, something you can do at night. So my challenge for you is this week, take one night, take 30 minutes and go through this. Go through a process of confession. Let's start the process of not holding these things in, but turning them over to Christ and let him heal us. Let him restore us and transform us into who he's created us to be. So that's my challenge for you so that we can live that abundant life. And also, too, as, as the worship team sings, if you do need to lay something down, I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray with you. Um, Scott will be available as well. Don't leave here with, with this weight. Lay it down and, and go out to live the abundant life that God's called you to.